The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Good evening. Welcome to Managing to Be Wealthy. I'm your host tonight, Spencer Hager. With me, John Sestina and Elijah Lee Toulouse. I'm a certified financial planner. John is obviously our founder. He's a chartered financial consultant, and we call him a CFP emeritus. And Eli, actively working towards it. Go, Eli. Go me. <laughs> John, how you been, sir? I've been good. Staying cool, you know, and battling cicadas. I have a little cicada gun. There you go. Out there and <laughs> shoot it. <clears throat> and if you can hit one of them, it'll drop it to the ground, and then the others will come to help it. I'm making this all up. <laughs> has, uh, has life changed for you at all since taking the mask off in June? It's been a couple of weeks since I oh, did the radio I, show. I barely wore the mask before. <laughs> I was a cantankerous. You would not imagine that. No, but no, I was no. cantankerous. <laughs> Very nice. What about, are you going down to Florida or anything like that soon? Oh, pretty soon. By okay. I'll probably go down there, see where it's cool. That's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Eli, how about you, man? How's everything going? Everything's going well. Awesome. I'm very excited. I got a very good email the other day. Guess what it was? You I don't even know where CFP. to begin. <laughs> That's the next email. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, Ohio State season football tickets. Mm. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I'm you very them? excited. Yeah. I think I just turned mine in. That's probably why you got them. Oh, thanks, John. <laughs> I've been getting them for 50 years, yep. and they've done all that they've done, so I decided, hmm. I don't think I want to play that game anymore. Yeah. So, but no, I love the Buckeyes, but I'm not going to play their game. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> excited to have that opportunity again. Things slowly returning to normal. So, just one more thing. I yeah. don't even, I don't even try and hide it anymore. I used to tell people I was a big OSU fan back when I was a supervisor at Target. Yeah. One of the vendors asked me who my favorite player was, and all I could say was JT Barrett because he was the only player I knew, and <laughs> my cover was blown right away. Oh my, Spencer. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. So. Well, awesome. Well, glad everyone's doing good. So for today's show, we'll get into the meat of pretty much the the whole time we're going to be on air. But to start off with big pressing news, uh, the Fed, Jer- Jerome Pally, did a nice little conference yesterday, gave some updated uh, figures, what they're expecting over at the Federal Reserve. And surprise, surprise, they're talking about inflation taking a little bit of an uptick, and that's having a, a role to play on the interest rates as well. A little bit of an uptick? <laughs> <laughs> Got to choose your words carefully, but uh, I know no. But to quantify it, I mean, essentially, before <laughs> they were saying that interest rates don't expect anything to change; they're pretty much going to stay around zero until 2024. Now, all of, all of a sudden, people are getting a little bit nervous. They're talking about bumping it up twice in 2023. Well, you know, if you look at inflation, the second half of this year, yeah, it would be eight percent, not the five percent they were talking about mm-hmm. or four percent they were talking about. So I don't know where they're getting those soft numbers. Maybe she's just trying to keep the economy calm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I know there's always that that controversy about what they're necessarily accounting for when it comes to tracking inflation. I'm sure we could spend a whole show talking about that. But 
you know, I don't like to track the day-to-day -day fluctuations with the market because of that stuff, but I think you can tell people are already pretty uneasy and then to have that get announced, even that they're just looking at in the future, I think we're all going to have a lot of planning that's going to stem from that moving yeah, forward. Yeah, Tony likes to talk about the price of lumber. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that <laughs> yeah. in the past couple shows. So it's gone up about four times since he brought it up the first time, mm -hmm. I think. And gasoline, that's pretty good. Doesn't cost you much, does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that blew me away, though. 315 pretty much consistently yeah. at the at the pump per Still, gallon. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, see, I can't drive anymore, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about, did you strip the house for parts with the lumber? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, I, did that. yeah. I took it all down. There you go. Actually, I hired a couple of chipmunks. So they help me out. <laughs> well, there you go. I'll, I'll send you my puppy. She, uh, she bites every little corner of the wall, and she'll do that for you. I'll bite her right back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know how it is. Every time the Fed comes out and says something, everyone's glued to the TV. There's a bunch of advisors, speculators out there trying to drum up some news. But it was a big announcement. We'll see what happens. But tune in next time or in the next few times. I'm sure we'll touch on it then. But but for tonight, really the big topic we're going to unpack is a uncommon one on this show, to be honest. We're going to do a lot of talking about investing. The reason we don't talk about it a lot on this show is because we constantly say it people often conflate financial planning with just investing and it definitely is a significant role but it's far from the only thing with uh, financial planning but still an important part so tonight I've seen a lot of good headlines things worth unpacking we're gonna we're gonna take a deep dive on that good hopefully we'll settle people down and they'll go right into financial planning yeah absolutely <laughs> you said it but I'm a history buff I think I've said on the show before so when we get into something like this I always like to start with a little history lesson so John, I was looking back through some of the trends and just how people viewed investing over the past, you know, 60, 70 years, particularly the, the 50s and the 70s. So I know well, you're trying to age me a bunch, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> yes, I are old. <laughs> no, uh, I thought I thought the research you did was great. And and the discussion about the 70s in particular, because. I was still getting started back then, mm -hmm. you know, didn't didn't have a solid foundation yet. And I remember that was a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. There was all sorts of things happening, not only in the marketplace, but also with banks and brokerage houses. Absolutely. You know, we didn't have that until they, what did they call that? Uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now. Glass-Steagall? No, Glass Beagle okay. prevented it. Oh, uh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. When you had a bank, you could identify the bank. When you had a brokerage house, identify that. But then they came together and you obf obfuscated or something, mm. the word I can't think of right now. But uh, that began to cause a lot of confusion, especially for the investor. Mm -hmm. Because now you have banks who are soliciting you when you get your little statement. You know, you want to invest your money, check with us. Like, what did I learn this week? And those are the banks talking. Mm -hmm. So now you're trying to decide, is the bank a better quote-unquote advisor than the broker? Makes it tough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know what blew me away too, and I, I brought this up when I did it. we did a deep dive on taxes. You know, the news cycle moves so quickly nowadays. People forget kind of what things were like. In 1950, 1960, really wasn't that long ago. And I was looking through this article. It was an Investopedia article. Back in 1952, only about 6.5 million Americans were invested in the stock market, about 4.2%. Isn't that amazing? I incredible. I mean, compare that to nowadays. Everyone's in the market. It's become so sensationalized because it's right at the tip of your fingers. We were talking about that before the show, John. Right. 
Well, the fact is, you know, everyone is attuned to the market now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that caused that are these little pieces of metal we carry around with us called <laughs> cell phones. You know, between playing games, we jump on there and make a trade because we just had a feeling or saw a commercial, which is all silly, of course. So that's made a big, big difference that people are now. And there's also something else happening. I don't think it's fully come to fruition yet. But the other thing that's happening is back in the 50s, you generally bought stocks or bonds mm -hmm. and mutual funds were barely existent. Right. And so as the mutual funds came along, that began to allow more and more people invest because they allowed the brokerage houses and everybody else allowed smaller and smaller dollar amount investments. So we'll cover that later when we talk more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I definitely want to get your opinion on that since you were around for the back end of it. And maybe not at the <laughs> realization of mutual funds. We don't want to date hey, you too much. my size, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I can walk with my gray <laughs> yeah. beard. <laughs> no, but it is interesting because even thinking about people in the 50s were still scarred from depression. That's right. And seeing that. I mean, people were really nervous about the idea of getting into the market. And that's why it was so low. And that also... You know, mutual funds have been great because it reduced the fees so much. That kind of was a buffer back in the day is because it was so limited to where you could go to invest. The fees were pretty high, at least if you compared it to they today. They were hefty back then. Absolutely. So just getting started, we're going to come back and touch on this a little bit more and get into lots more when it comes to investing. So please stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Once again, I'm your host for the evening, Spencer Hager. With me, founder John Sestina. We got Eli Lee Talusa with us as well. So last segment, we wrapped up just really getting started on a quick history lesson on investing, at least how people viewed it over the past couple of decades. And then we're going to kind of move into the current fad and the current market of investing, which is a completely different animal. But before we wrapped up, we were talking a little bit about mutual funds coming around. So I'm sure most people out there know what I'm talking about, but mutual funds, it's essentially owning a basket of stocks or bonds within one fund. Generally, you can buy it for a cheap dollar amount, and it's very inexpensive to invest. It's been great for retail investors, but it really started to come around in the 60s in a much more limited capacity than we see it today. And John, I was just curious when I was going through this, I mean, do you remember how retail investors or even other investment advisors were looking at that at the time? At that time, they weren't as excited about mutual funds as they are now. Yeah. Because yeah. first, they were a new animal. Mm -hmm. And second, the, secondly, their costs were pretty high, actually. You had to pay 8%, 9% commission just to buy one. Mm -hmm. So that kind of halted a few folks. And most people didn't know what they were. <clears throat> so they didn't deal with it because of the ignorance and the fear and the cost. But I remember when I found my first one, you know, back when I was using my stone chisel to look at these things. <laughs> and that was, it was in Strongsville, Ohio. I picked up a, I don't know, a financial brochure. And the only way you could investigate these things back then was read the prospectus. Now, I'll bet even you guys, Eli, aren't <laughs> reading the prospecti anymore. Is that right? You're talking about like the 30-page document, right, John? Oh, only 30 pages? <laughs> only 30. Ooh. They've cut them down, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Well, back then you needed a bookmark so you could, when you lost your place, you could find it again. 
But uh, so you had to read that and figure out everything. There was no history on the managers. There was no history on the rate of return over the last X years, except they would report it in the prospectus. Mm -hmm. So they were little tough animals to get a hold of, and people were a little suspicious of them back then. Sorry, please keep going. Oh, that's all right. And plus, they did, they had not made it easy in the marketplace, the in, uh, the, the big guys, to allow these small investments. What took off is when you could start putting like 40 bucks a month into a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have a good friend who started, he was uh, investing, he was a pilot, and he picked a mutual fund, a very good one as it turned out, before he met me, and he was investing 50 bucks a month. Now he's a multimillionaire on that one mutual fund, so he believed. Yeah, that's a nice trajectory, I'd yep. take that. <laughs> Yeah, but it's fascinating. I'm maybe not everyone else out there listening is quite as big of a history buff as I am, but I always find it valuable to look at because it seems like a lot of people nowadays can't even remember the lessons from 2008, 2009. You try and talk about 1950, 1970, it's completely out of the realm, but interesting context. Well, and that's an important point you're making because you're right, people are short-sighted today. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that in all aspects of our all of our economy whether it be politics or investing or whomever you want to talk about. So because they have that short-sightedness, you can't make a good decision on investments. Mm -hmm. And are we going to talk about those uh, whoop de doop -dee special investment programs that are out there? Or the short, <laughs> you know, the real short-lived? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, maybe for a different one, or if you have one in mind, no, we can definitely I, jump I won't in. go there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> thought you were ready to jump on me for that one. But, <laughs> so we won't go there, but... Uh, you know, as I've always said, investing is long-term. Mm -hmm. It's always long-term. If you're my age, 80 years old, you're still investing for the long-term. Mm -hmm. And so that's where people fail. They're looking for the quick buck. They're looking for the next uh, Facebook or whatever you want to pick, as, as it were. And the challenge is sometimes those work big, and they do. And sometimes you can just sit there next to the drain and watch your money go down, gurgle, 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 right down the sewer. It's interesting you bring that up, John. So like you had said, everybody's looking for the next hot pick. By the time us, the consumers, see something on TV, it's most likely too late. So, you know, people out there that are listening, you know, it's great to watch the news, you know, keep plugged into CNBC. But by the time you get that information, you know, it, it's too late. You're right on. Boy, he's... He's learned. Yeah, He's absolutely. I've learned a thing or two from Spencer. I'm telling you, but yeah. the, uh, from Spencer. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've often said, do you ever stop to think that by the time someone offers you an investment, who has rejected it? Right. And I think one of the questions we like to ask is, if it's such a good deal, why am I being presented it? Exactly. So you sit there and the investment guy come, who, the, the, comes to him and says, listen, will you sell this? So the guy says, well, let me read about it. No, I can't sell it. He rejects it or he looks at it. He says, well, yeah, I think I can sell this. And so if it's a good deal, if he thinks it's really, really good, he takes it to whom? His best clients. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's not us yet because we're not that guy's friend. <laughs> uh, then he goes on and if if can't sell it out there, where does he go next? He goes to the brokers. And the broker says, oh, let me see. Yeah, I can sell that. That's okay. And guess to, to whom he goes? his best clients. And if they won't buy it, to whom does he go then? Well, I have this little slide. And in this slide, what pops up at this time is a turkey. <laughs> okay. So 
am I causing political correctness problems? <laughs> no, I think we're still okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the turkey. So by the time you see the deal, it's been rejected by every thinking mind in the financial community. Mm -hmm. What makes you so special? Exactly. I mean, Facebook was a, a personal deal. All all of the ones that have gone big, you could you were not a part of. And where you really see that is once an IPO comes out, people get all excited about those. Mm -hmm. But if they understood, again, by the time that hits you, it's been peeled back long more than you'd ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the reason we bring this up, and, and I'll point to this other interesting article I saw on CNBC, essentially they're saying that investors in the past five months have put more money into equity funds than over the past 12 years combined. Absolutely crazy. And so I, I get the fear disclaimer. I'm not predicting the next bubble or crash, but <laughs> it's clearly the zone is getting flooded with people jumping in. And you look time over time in history whether it's the depression or other points over the past couple of decades, people flood in hoping to get the next best thing, not necessarily knowing why they're investing for the long term. And then when the first crowd starts to sell, everyone else starts to sell and it be becomes a big problem. Mm -hmm. And so my concern too is nowadays it's become, everyone says investing has become a little bit of a video game, but it's also become kind of a social media game. I don't know how many people I talk to tell me about friends they knew who made X amount off of crypto or this, and I wish I could immediately send them a hundred different examples of the people who <laughs> lost like crazy, but it's not the fun part to talk about. Right. And going back to your point, Spencer, the news never broadcasts all the people who lose. It's, you know, only the good stuff, right? Oh, that's good. So, yeah. yep. that's a good point as well. Mm -hmm. And the tough part, too, is the fact that interest rates are so low. I don't blame people for wanting to invest nowadays. The What we're going to get into next is keeping the long-term lens on it because at the same time i'm not particularly inclined to tell someone to earn 0.1 percent yield in a savings account with you know ten thousand dollars what does that come out to well that's what's going on they they're limited in their choices they mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. and so they may be making an irrational decision absolutely so it's interesting to watch that's all we can kind of say people are going to do what they're going to do all we can do is try and you know, educate people as much as possible. But for anyone out there who's investing, constantly trying to chase more with the yield, just remind yourself of kind of these historical lessons and keep that long-term lens because it's easy to get swept up in the noise. It's a lot harder to keep that disciplined long-term approach. So the discipline being your favorite word, right, John? It is. <laughs> so, Is it still in the English vocabulary? <laughs> for the time being. So, well, that was a, a little trip down memory lane and sped up to today. When we come back, we're going to talk about the values of diversification and some other rules of thumb people have put out there for investing in the past. So please stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. For the third time, I'm your host this evening, Spencer Hager. With me, we're honored with John Sestina, founder, charter financial consultant. We have Eli Litalusa with us as well. He's working towards that CFP certification, and I am a certified financial planner as well. So tonight we're doing a whole lot of talking about investing. It's a little bit of a treat for our show, but taking a lot of time just unpacking that we started off with a little bit about the history and, and kind of the modern status of the the stock market and investing but I kind of want to start to unpack what that means to invest and, and how you should invest and the first one a lot of the big names out there talk about is asset allocation 
what that should consist of. There's a lot of different opinions on what that should be, but traditionally our recommendation is diversification, right? Diversification meaning that we're not all in one specific sector or part of the market. We're spreading our uh, basket or putting eggs in several baskets, and that's that's how we operate. So to start off with John, I have a couple articles here I can call upon if you want a little <laughs> bit extra context, but asset allocation – you know, what's your mind go to with that? Or what's the most valuable lesson? The best part of asset allocation is it causes a little bit of discipline. Mm -hmm. Gives you a formula. In the old, old, old days, what I used to use, what I call the investment triangle. And on the bottom of the triangle was uh, cash and savings accounts and things like that. Then it would move up to bonds and so forth then the stock market, and then uh, there, then I would get into the what are now called alternative investments. Mm -hmm. So that might be real estate or some of that stuff. And then the top was the throwaway money. This was your play money. And no more than 5% of your money should be in that, I used to say. And there you would buy all the wild things you wanted to do. You know, the new business startups, the thing your buddy told you about, and so on and so forth. So that gave people a, an outline as to where they should go. So I didn't have to argue with them all the time. Somebody come along with a good deal. They wanted 50,000. Well, 50,000 exceeded his 5%. Mm -hmm. So I could easily say, let's not do that. And they would generally follow that. So I like asset allocation from that point of view. It gives you a track to run on. Mm -hmm. But realize how many, how many asset allocations categories are there? Yep. Most people only talk in terms of stocks and bonds. And then, then of course, there's cash. And I just talked about real estate. Well, how about oil? Buying oil wells recently? <laughs> you buying any uh, commodities? I mean, there are studies that show that commodities in a portfolio, even though they're very, very volatile, make the portfolio better. Mm -hmm. So you're doing that and you go on down. At one point in my career, believe it or not, Spence, <laughs> I even invested in Scotch whiskey futures. Ah, and so mm. I'm telling you, I was a little wild. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't even drink back then. So <laughs> I did afterwards after I did that. <laughs> even had a racehorse. Ah. So when you're talking about asset allocation, most people don't mean it because they're just talking about stocks and bonds. And that's why I brought this up. So I don't know how many people I've talked to recently. I'm sure if you're listening, you can relate. I've talked to so many people where they look at what their the most recent account statement, whether it's a 401k, a Roth IRA, and oh, my rate of return was 9.6%. And you press a little bit and they have no idea how they're investing. That's okay. <laughs> That's a little bit convoluted. And then you also hear the common adage that, well, if I just invested in the S&P 500 for my lifetime, I'd Ooh. average 9% right? Fair. Maybe that's right. But that's a pretty simplistic way of looking at it. And that's why I thought it would be helpful to kind of break it down. So let's, let's kind of pick on the S&P 500. And so I was looking at this interesting study recently. It's uh, released by Dimensional Funds. And it's called the Tale of Two Decades. And essentially what they did is they compared the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2010 after the dot-com bubble. Didn't do too hot, essentially. But if you were invested in international funds, emerging market funds, primarily talking about mutual funds here, stocks could be in there as well, um, you did a lot better. So if you're one of those people who decided to take on the approach of just being in the S&P 500 for your entire lifetime, you were probably not liking looking at the statements too much from 2000 to 2010. Yeah, Spencer, you hit it right on the head. The 
diversification is very important, especially when we're investing for the long term. You know, I hear it all the time on the internet, TV, put your money into the S&P 500, earn a 9% rate of return, you're set, you're going to have a million dollars by the time you're age 65. Okay, great. But what happens when you go through another era like that, the 2000 through 2009, when the S&P returns below 1%, right? So now you really have to explore other options and you could be missing out on the other upsides. I know one of the stories we like to tell clients is, you know, we have this chart. It looks like a periodic table. It's all colorful and everything. And we ask them, you know, what happened or do you see a trend here? And most of the time clients are like, well, you really can't tell. And, you know, that's because nobody really can tell because if we could, John, me and you and Spencer, we'd be on our, our yacht holding meetings out there and having a great time. So, Spencer, yeah, you brought up a great point. The S&P 500, it may not be the best long-term approach for retirement goals. And this doesn't just have to be 2000 to 2010. I'm not only talking about that. Mm -hmm. I'd look at my accounts weekly. And if you were invested in some international funds, you know, 2020 large cap growth funds, that means companies like Apple, Facebook, these are companies where your return is primarily going to come from their stock price growing. They did really great in 2020. They're not doing as hot in 2021, whereas these international funds, they're doing a little bit better. So it's not the game of chasing more. It's more saying that if you spread out and really diversify, there's a lot more potential to hedge your bets and, and have a less exposure to one sector or one asset allocation. And what it's called is home bias. Home bias meaning that a lot of times, a lot of investment advisors or just people in general, they're inclined to only invest in U.S. stocks, your domestic area. And that's okay. Just know that you're limiting yourself a little bit on, on what you're exposed to and what kind of growth could come with that exposure. So... Well, and that chart is so interesting because it has a whole lot of categories, doesn't it? It has lots of categories. Okay, on, so yeah. it has large caps, small cap, mm -hmm. large value, and so on and so forth. So even among the stocks and bonds and so forth, th there's a whole bunch of things you can pick from there. And what also was interesting to me was what was the leader last year or the last two or three years falls to the bottom the next time. Mm -hmm. And so the one that was at the bottom before, now it's on the top. Yep. So that's why you diversify, do the allocation, because when something flip-flops, you're not going to be ready for it because you're not sitting there with the guys who are making the decisions and you're not pulling the trigger. So you want to be positioned that if it changes, you're covered. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things when it comes to investing, you know, you want to, you want to pay attention to the news. I know we were sitting here harping on it earlier. But you need to be mindful of, you know, world events. So if, you know, changes are needed to your portfolio, you know, you need to talk to your advisor and, you know, act upon that. But Exactly right. And with politics, I mean, you have to follow what's going on. And right now we're, there's, you're talking about all the international, you know, there's some concern with China and mm -hmm. uh, with, with Russia and others. And how are they going to impact the market? Mm -hmm. We don't know. Yeah. They may have been good last year and a couple of years ago. But now if the politics change we start pulling manufacturing out of China, what does that do? Mm -hmm. It applies to bonds too. So yep. don't think we're only talking yeah. about stocks with this either. I was talking to another advisor recently and about 60% of all the bonds available out there on the market, about 60% are international bonds, meaning they're not coming from the U.S. About 40% right. are U.S. So same concept. If you're only buying U.S. bonds, treasury bonds, things like that, you're really limiting the scope. 
And generally, the benefit of, of that is the idea that you're buying into different countries, different economic cycles. You're not just tied to what's going on with the U.S. And if you're one of those people out there who's getting a little bit nervous looking at some of the current events, that can be a little bit of a source of peace of mind, in my opinion. So run up against a hard stop. I'm sure we could keep going on this, but we'll, we'll circle back in the next segment. So please stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Last time for the evening, I'm your host, Spencer Hager. With me, John Sestina, Eli Lee Talusa. I'm a certified financial planner. John is a chartered financial consultant, CFP emeritus, and founder, as I said. And Eli is working his way towards getting that CFP. So a lot to talk about investing. Before we wrap up for the evening, I just want to remind anyone listening out there, if you've heard something that piqued your interest or even if you're just thinking about financial planning and want to find out more, uh, you can always set up a one-hour free-of-charge consultation meeting with the company. Uh, easiest way to do that is by going to our website, managingtobewealthy.com. Look up at the top right. It's going to be a Take Action tab, and that'll that'll lead you from there. So please don't hesitate to reach out. There's a lot more to talk about than what we can manage to get into on our time on the radio show. So we wrapped up last segment talking about diversification, allocation. Now let's kind of put that into practice, I think, of you know how do you construct your portfolio and what's the right fit given that kind of rule of thumb in a popular popular rule of thumb out there good thing bad thing is you should invest your composition meaning how much exposure do you have to stocks or equities versus bonds fixed income and you should come up with how much equity you have by taking 100 and minusing your age meaning good grief <laughs> I, I would be broke yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, an example of that would be if you're 20 years old, your mix should essentially be 80% stocks, 20% bonds. I'm with you, John. When I first heard that, I said that sounds absolutely crazy. I think that's a – unless that helps you sleep all night, I think mm -hmm. that's a little bit conservative. But what's crazy with that rule is a lot of these target date funds, what a lot of people out there are in, they start to function that way pretty quickly. You look at a 2040 fund compared to a 2030 fund. Meaning, Are you talking about dates, 2030? Exactly, okay. 2030, 2041. Essentially, when you're hoping to retire, the difference between those two is essentially 10% equity. It follows that rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. What do you think, John? <laughs> I know you said you'd be broke. You think that's a good fit? <laughs> well, let me say I've never followed that rule. <laughs> no, I, <clears throat> you do have to be diversified, but you do have to, if, if you're going to keep up with inflation mm -hmm. and everything else that's going on, you have to be in a growth mode. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to go growth, you evaluate how long you have to deal with the growth. I mean, if you've only got two years, the market changes, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, But if you've got 10 years, well, that's a pretty good time. Then you may be able to withstand a downturn. Because remember, if you're going to retire, when you start taking money out of your portfolio, you're not taking it out in one big lump. You're going to be taking it out on a, on a streamed uh, approach. So maybe you take 10000 a month or so, or so whatever. So if the market goes down and takes a little more out of the market, but then when the market goes back up, 10000 is much less of the portfolio. So that diversification works on the back end as well as the front end. Mm -hmm. So 
I think I think you <clears throat> always need to be in a growth position. But again, when you are paying attention, when your advisor is helping you decide, then you need to have safety to the extent you require it, depending on your health, depending on your nervousness, you know, whether you can sleep at night, as you said, mm -hmm. Spencer, or whatever the case may be. So it's there. A lot of people rely on it. Mm -hmm. It's easy to talk about. I'll, I'll actually argue for it just for the one aspect that most people, when they're investing in their 401k plans or <laughs> IRAs, they don't have access to a financial advisor. So if that's the best you can do and you don't really have much knowledge on how investing works or, you know, planning for retirement, it actually is not too bad of a, you know, bad of a mutual fund to select. So like I said, I'm just going to root for it just a little bit, but to everything, you know, you said and Spencer said earlier, you know, it's it's probably not the best approach for the long term. Well, and that's part of it too, right? We're not bashing on target date funds. They're helpful and they are good for some people. And we joke on the show that, that not everyone looks at their pay stubs as often, but I know more people probably look at their retirement accounts to yes. see how they're doing. And I think we've kind of, it's a two-piece. We've become pretty spoiled with how bonds have performed over the past 40 years, 50 years. So you could have a conservative mix and be doing okay. But another thing I'll tell you what that bothers me a little bit with target dates is to some extent, you're giving up control of how you're investing because generally with those target dates, you'll set it, say me, it's 2055 fund, maybe it's a 90-10 now, 90% stocks, 10% fixed income. There's a fund manager who's running that fund and in five years from now, they could switch it up and I could be none the wiser. Whereas if you take that next jump off point and try and do a little research, see how what you're comfortable with, that's when you get into trying to piece together maybe some individual index funds can mirror the same allocation but you're the one who gets to set the percentages the dollar amount you're buying it's not someone else just setting it up for you right and you know you talked about the 70s and how the equity market was flat mm -hmm. but the bond market was roaring mm -hmm. i mean i remember having the opportunity to buy a treasury bond it was not callable which is great and it was paying over 10 percent per year for 30 years so I bought a bunch of those for my clients. I guess they might still be getting that kind of interest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, let, and let's not kid ourselves, too. How many times have we talked to someone, or even maybe yourself, and said, how are you investing? It's, ah, I'm not sure. It's in a target date fund. It did okay last year. Mm -hmm. 2020 was a pretty easy example of that. So part of it's what's, what's your stomach comfortable with? If I talk to someone and they said I'm going to raise their blood pressure if we move them to 100% stocks, <laughs> then we can leave it in a target date, or we can put some bonds in there. But don't just look at the target date and assume because it's got some positive rate of return that that's necessarily the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the easy next step or individual index funds. And yep. you, you lead to a point, which is make sure when you're examining any investment, you understand how they are calculating the rate of return. Because sometimes it's not what you think it is. Yep. And you may be thinking you're going to get 15%. You hear these ads on the radio all the time, not on I heart, of course, <laughs> but I do hear all the time these ads that are saying, buy this or buy that, you're going to get a guaranteed 10% per year. Whoa, how did they come up with that? You see? So you need to get into it or your financial advisor does. That's what they're good for is the details. And I want to make sure we touch on this too, tying into that. Popular one these days are ESG funds. Yeah. E is in Edward, S is in Spencer. 
G is in Gerald, right? Oh, sure. Spencer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> E stands for environmental, S for social, G for governance. So essentially the gist is these are people trying to socially responsibly invest your funds, but take a deep dive, maybe read that fund prospectus because one criticism and people can look into it is that it has been an excuse for advisors or people trying to sell those to essentially increase their fees that they're earning for doing those funds without really changing the mix under the guise of socially responsible. Yeah. Um, we, we were looking into it before the show. I mean, they tend to cost a little bit higher and that's okay. But like mm -hmm. as an alternative to that, um, you know, we use Morningstar for frequent, just looking into like uh, information for other stocks, mutual funds and other index funds as well. Um, and Morningstar will give a kind of ESG rating. So if you want to get into those ESG funds and you don't really have direct access, whether through your 401k plan, um, you know, you can get some exposure that way too. And one caveat to that little difference, meaning on average, ESGs cost about 43% more than the non-ESG counterpart. So it's substantially expen more expensive, but if that's your goal and you like what you look into, that's okay. John, I got to get your opinion on ESGs before we wrap up. Uh, I will pass. <laughs> in a way, I think that's an answer in itself. So <laughs> It sure is. <laughs> yeah, so it, once again, it's just know what you're looking into. So even if it's your 401k, just take a deep dive, look at investment options. Please don't get caught up in all the hubbub sometimes with the news. Just know some of the past lessons. Look into how people reacted over the past couple of decades. It'll give it a little bit more wholesome view. So I'm sure we could have gone for another hour, guys, but hopefully someone out there got a little bit of benefit from this tonight. And please come back next time and listen to the next show. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy, 610 WTVN.